Today, everybody say today. Today, the message title is this, Built for Battle. Built for Battle. We're going to be reading out of Nehemiah, and uh, as you get ready to flip your Bible to Nehemiah, and by the way, there's nothing wrong with looking in the table of contents. I didn't grow up in church, and so when they were like, everybody knows where this is in the Bible, your boy was at the beginning of it, like... uh, (laughs) Page number. Okay, what's the page number? Oh, you've got different page numbers. Okay, and so um, I was in my first semester of Bible school, um, and I'm telling you, man, I didn't know anything, and and I'm just telling you, it's okay to look at that. It's okay to have a digital Bible, a physical Bible, but this is what we're going to do at the end of December. Um, If you don't have a physical Bible, we are going to buy some and give those to you as a church, and so if you need one, let me know. We want to be able to get that. And as you're turning there, I want you to know this, that you have people praying for you right now. Literally, as, as I'm speaking, there are people. We have our elder team in Little Rock praying all the way from Russ Vegas, Russellville, any Russellvillians in the, in the house, okay? Uh, all the way to Little Rock from Heber Springs to Hot Springs to we all scream for ice cream. Like, we got all kinds of people that are praying for you guys. We're, we're a part of a, a very big vision in the state of Arkansas, New Life Church. And, and, and I just want you to know, you got some cousins and some uncles and aunts that you have never met before, and they love you. They've been praying for you and believing for God to move here today. Nehemiah is where we're gonna camp out. And a lot of the small groups uh, did a study this, this last semester in Nehemiah. So uh, this is really gonna resonate with some of you that have been watching that. You can find it on NLC Fayetteville on YouTube. And a lot of the pastoral staff has taught about Nehemiah, and it's fantastic. If you're ready, say, I'm ready. Okay, Nehemiah was a professional wine taster. Some of y'all are like, sign me up, okay? Um, Except he was tasting the wine and the food for poison. He was the cupbearer to the king, and he had a very important role. Before the king would partake in food or drink, he would taste it to make sure that someone wasn't trying to poison the king. So he was very trusted. Uh, The name Nehemiah literally means the comfort of Yahweh, the comfort of God. Turn to the person next to you and say the comfort of God. This is something that we need in our life. And some of y'all needed this in Thanksgiving, okay, when you were around your family. Can I get an amen? Okay. Some of y'all need some comfort from God going into Christmas time, okay? Because when the family gets together, things get a little bit crazy. But you need to know this this morning that in any season of your life, In every season, if it's victory or defeat, the ups and the downs, the valley or the mountain, that God is your comforter, that he knows your name, that he knows your needs, that he knows how many hairs are on your head. And so if you're here today and you've got a need and maybe you need some comfort from God, I want to let you know it's in his name and it's in his nature to do that. Last week we talked about Jonah and uh, Jonah got a little bit uncomfortable. He fled from Nineveh, and he ran to Tarshish. He was pursuing comfort instead of opposition. And we talked about God is calling us to opposition, to step out into faith, into something bigger than ourselves. And today, we're going to talk about Nehemiah, and it's really cool because Nehemiah got a little bit uncomfortable as well. His name reminds us in the middle of our discomfort that God is our comforter. And so if you are in Nehemiah 1, if you would look at verse 3 and 4, it says this, They said to me, those who survived the exile are back in the province, and, and they're in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and the gates have been burned with fire. 
When I heard these things, I sat down and I wept for some days. I mourned and I fasted and I prayed before the God of heaven. And then he ends up saying the prayer in chapter one. But what I want us to see is his response to a need. He saw that the people were in need. He saw that the walls had been broken down and the city had laid in ruins. And so he, he gets a little sad and then he prays to God and then he fasts and he's seeking the Lord and he gets permission from the king and then he gets permission from the king of kings. And he, he goes to Jerusalem and he starts examining the walls and God's hand was on Nehemiah. And there was so much rubble, it says that he, he was going out at night so that people wouldn't know what he was doing. He's examining the walls. There's so many piles and there's rubble everywhere that it says that he actually had to get off of his horse and walk through it. There's just piles of stuff everywhere. Something that stood so very tall, it was now laying in pieces on the ground. Something that was walls and it, and it provided protection is now providing no protection at all. And, and the city was in ruins. Now in the Bible, walls mean something different than what we think of as walls today. Like we say, well, don't build up a wall and a barrier. And we see kind of like walls are almost like imprisonment, but in the Bible, walls mean like protection and security and comfort, and they represent a place of shelter. So when we say that God is my stronghold, that he is my refuge, that he is my strength, a city on a hill, the place that I run to when I'm in need of comfort, what, what is being said is that God is my strength. There's strength in the walls, but the walls were down. I, I, I wanna ask you a question this morning before we really dive in. Nehemiah was, was moved by a need. He, he had compassion and, and he, he saw something, but he didn't just see it with his eyes, he saw it with his heart. Did you, would y'all agree there's a difference? Like it's, there's one thing to see something with your eyes, but there's, it's one thing to like when you see it and you, you see it with your heart. I wanna ask you this, when was the last time that you were like really moved by something? Like, like you were really moved when you saw something with your heart. Now, I'm not talking about when you bit into grandma's fried chicken at Thanksgiving, okay? Like, and you're like, thank you, Jesus, okay? Like, I'm glad that Aunt Becky didn't make the fried chicken, okay? I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about uh, the last time you watched a good Hallmark movie, okay? And you had a couple tears and some ice cream. And those, those are good nights, you know? I'm not talking about you re-watching The Notebook for the 40th time, and you're like, I'm just waiting for my hero to save the day, okay? I'm not talking about any of those things or when the hogs win a nail-biter. Like, I'm talking about when you see a need on planet Earth, and there's another human being that is in need of something, and you see it with your eyes or you see it with your heart, when was the last time you were moved? Nehemiah was really moved. He, he moved and his heart was shattered. I, I wrote this down that you, you see, God has to do a great work inside of you before he can do a great work through you. Now, I was, a, I was a youth pastor. I worked with a lot of college students for a long time. And this is the common thread I would see. And I actually have a couple former students in here. Love you, Jackson. Um, and, and here's the thing. Like you, you can either be moved by something or you can just move by something. Like, like I, I see something and, and I'm gonna be moved with compassion or I'm just gonna move right by it. Well, somebody else will take care of that. Surely God wouldn't want me to help. 
Surely that, that's somebody else's responsibility. Nehemiah 2 jumps into him calling people to action. It says, then I said to them, you see the trouble that we're in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned with fire. Come and let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and we will no longer be in disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God that is on me and what the king had said to me. And they replied, take note of this, let us start rebuilding. Man, there is something beautiful about something that is being rebuilt. Like, like it, it used to look this way, but it no longer looks this way because we, we're rebuilding it. And I, I think that there's something special that happens in the next chapter. Okay, y'all have all done this maybe, it's just me. But at the beginning of the year, you're like, I'm going to read the whole Bible this year. And then you get into like some stuff and it's just like a list of names. Anybody? Okay, just me. Um, but this one is different. Chapter 3 is different here. It's not just a list of names. This is a list of families that said, this is my city, this is my responsibility. That They said, this isn't just someone else's responsibility. I, I see a need and I'm going to be moved by it. This is what happens. I, I love this. They came together. They rebuild the wall. Every family pulled their weight. Every family contributed to a cause that was greater than themselves. If you want to make a kingdom impact, lift your eyes to heaven. Ask God, hey, would you show me the needs around me? I don't want to see people with my eyes. I want to see people with my heart. And this, y'all, I thought it was just a bunch of names and like names of walls and stuff. But check this out. I can't even pronounce half this stuff. Elishib, <laughs> maybe, and the priest rebuilt the sheep gate. The men of Jericho rebuilt the next section. The, son, the sons of Hesaniah that rebuilt the fish gate. And then I love this, Shalom, Shalom, I don't know what his name is, and his daughters rebuilt and repaired the next one. And then it's just this list. And, and this is what I want you to see is that young and old, men and women, different backgrounds and, and socioeconomic backgrounds and, and, and races and, and everyone looked different. And they said, you know what, this is my, my city, this is my responsibility. Like, like, I see everything with my eyes, but today I'm going to see it with my heart. And man, I read this and I was moved. And I was like, God, this is crazy, but this is what you've got to see is that brick by brick and wall by wall, one family at a time, they made a stand. Now, when I got saved, I started serving in kid life, one of the uh, biggest mistakes of my life, because I was terrified of kids, okay? Kid life is amazing, but I, I got kind of tricked into it, and so... Uh, I was talking with Corey, and he, was, uh, he played football at UCA. He was kind of intimidating. And so I was like, I'll do it. I'll serve. And so my first day, I was like, what do I do? And he said, all I need you to do is dress up as a tree. <laughs> and he said, I just need you to stand on the stage. Don't move a muscle. And I was terrified. I'm like, dress like a tree? What kind of cult is this? Like, I'm not dressing like a tree. And he said, dress like a tree. Y'all, I'm not kidding you. I had branches. I had leaves, okay? Like, and, and he said, just stand right here. And you, he said, if you've got to sneeze, hold it in. Don't cough. And if you do have to move, just act like the wind is blowing, okay? Like, and so I was like, I was the best tree there ever was, okay? <laughs> and I was a tree for six weeks straight. But you know what happened? Is I was a tree standing on that stage, and I saw kids worshiping Jesus, and I saw kids that had families that were dropping them off and they were leaving the church. And they would go do something else and come back and, drop, and pick them up. I'm not making this up. Like, there, it was, my heart was moved because I saw a need with my heart. My heart was broken because these kids, like, they just wanted someone to look up to. 
I don't know if you know this, but the generation that's rising up beneath us right now is considered the fatherless generation. But I, I have one mission. I have many missions. One of the biggest ones is that you know that you have a father who loves you in heaven. Uh, you may have had a distorted picture of what that looks like on earth, but you've got a father in heaven that loves you. He's proud of you, and he's got a plan for your life, and he's calling you to something greater than yourself. So I, I want to tell you, maybe you're asking me, well, Seth, how do I make a difference in the church in the city we live in? The first one right now, if you're writing this down, write down kids ministry. Kids ministry. Since COVID, y'all, like right now, many of you have been blessed by being able to bring your kids to Little Life and Kid Life. And y'all, we have, would y'all give it up for our volunteers back there? Would y'all, let, let's make them hear us. Y'all give it up for them. Come on. I don't think they heard us, but it's okay. All right. It's a big deal that we get to come in here and, and have no distractions and, and parents who are tired, who've got young kids, you can grab a cup of coffee and come in here and just be like, God, I'm going to stay here for four hours today. Okay, like, it's a big deal, but it's also a big deal that your kids get to hear the gospel every Sunday. But here's what you need to know is last Sunday, four families walked into these walls and they walked out because there's nowhere for their kids to be. And that may not seem like a big deal for you, but it, it, bro it broke my heart. And I'm not saying it's everybody's responsibility, but if you feel like a tugging, that ain't Taco Bell last night, okay? Like, that's the Holy Spirit saying, hey, you can make a difference. You may be a little weird, but kids don't even know. They don't. Well, I don't know what to do. Be a tree. Turn to the person next to you and say, be a tree. <laughs> be a, we can be a tree. If you don't know what to do, just dress up like a tree. Come to church. We're going to think you're pretty, pretty weird, okay? <laughs> be a tree. Y'all are kids, man, like. There's something special about being able to know that your kids are taken care of and you get to get in the presence of God. So just pray about it. If God does something, text me. And, and if you want to get involved, text me. Fill out a connect card. I want to get you plugged in. The next one is this, worship. Everybody say worship. Some of you don't need to participate in leading worship. Okay, I'm just going to be real. Like, you know, in, in choir, in band, anybody do choir and band? They have the chairs, like first chair to 10th chair. They took my chair away. I'm not making this up. I was in there for a week, and they put me in PE. And then I had to do all these physical assessments, and I'm like, are you calling me obese? Like, you know, I'm in sixth grade. I've got a soft heart, you know? Like, you know, our worship team, like, there's people in this room right now that play instruments. Maybe you played instruments a long time ago, and God is saying, let's shake the dust off a little bit, baby. Let's get back in the game. You may have been playing that bass guitar in your basement. Nobody knew. Hey. We've got some places for you to be developed, to use your gifts to serve the kingdom of God. I talked with some of our worship team last week, and they were like, man, we really want people to join and be a part of what God's doing. If you sing, man, come join. If you don't sing well, just sing at home, and, we, you know, we love you. <laughs> and then the last one is this. Uh, I want to call the Millers on stage. It's our Christmas outreach, and I, I'm going to have them. Uh, I'm going to have them share just a little bit about what's coming up and give them some. Yeah, details. yeah. So my name's Jake. My wife Catherine is actually back there. We got a five-month-old boy who's uh, he's he's singing loud. He's practicing for worship. So, um, but now this this Saturday we've got our big Christmas outreach. So for the past month we've been gathering wish lists from 65 families through the Fayetteville Public Schools and the Fayetteville Housing Authority. That's almost 170 kids. That's a lot of needs that we can fill. So we still got a little bit of time if you are feeling moved by Seth's message to come out and help. So there's a few ways that you can do it. It all starts with Faye to 88001 or 88000. Uh, text that. You'll get 
the, the link tree, find the Christmas outreach sign up. If you want to buy gifts for a family, you can still adopt a family. There's a little over half of our families are still left to be adopted. Those families that aren't adopted, we're going to go buy those gifts, and then we're going to have a crew here on Saturday, next Saturday, December 11th, to wrap them. So you can practice your wrapping skills before the big day for your own kids and family. So come on, y'all. We can do it. We can do it. But then, after all that, we wrap all these gifts. We feel all good. We got to deliver those. So we need a huge crew to help deliver those gifts. Over two-thirds of those 65 families want them dropped off at their doorstep. So... A lot of needs to be met this Saturday, December 11th. Text Faye to 88000. Find that Christmas outreach, sign up, and we'll be reaching out to you. That's great. Hey, will y'all give it up for the Millers? They're amazing. And this is what I want to do real quick. I want to pray, and I want you to join me in prayer that, that God would start bringing some people to help meet some of these needs. Um, what we're not doing today is saying everybody needs to do something. That's not what I'm saying. But if God moves your heart, you feel a little tugging, it is not gas. It may be, but man, let's be obedient and step out in faith. Let's pray. God, we love you. We lift up these things to you. God, you know every person by name. You have prepared good things in advance for us to do. God, if it's to be a tree, if it's to hold a microphone and sing, if it's to wrap a present, if it's to greet at a door, make a cup of coffee, help people park, whatever it is, God, would you help us realize today we can make a difference and we're gonna rebuild some things in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Turn to the person next to you and say, be a tree. Be a tree. I was a good-looking tree, I promise. Uh, maple. Okay. We're going to jump into f uh, chapter four, and this is where we're going to land the plane today. There's four things that you can do in this season that will help you, and Nehemiah 4 really lays this out. It says, when Samballot, this is, this, his name actually means enemy in secret. I, I want you to know this, that we have a real God, but we also have a real enemy. And there's nothing secretive about it now. I think the enemy has overplayed his cards a little bit in this last year. Would y'all agree? I think that God is wanting to raise up some believers today. When Samballot heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became angry, greatly incensed, and he ridiculed the Jews. And in the presence of the associates of the army of Samaria, I said, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? He's like, he's like roasting, okay? Like this is like back in middle school, like mama jokes, okay? Can, can they bring the stones back to life? From those heaps of rubble as burned as they are, Tobiah the Ammonite, who was at his side said this, hey, what they're building, even a fox that's climbing up on it could break down their walls of stones. The one thing I want you to write down, first thing is this, don't get distracted from building. Write that down. Don't get distracted from building. It's easy to get distracted. How many of you get distracted when you're driving? Just raise your hand. There's no shame. Okay, we're going to pray for y'all after service, all right? My first car, I totaled it in two weeks. <laughs> I was driving this Honda Civic. I had those little 10-inch subwoofers just beating in the back. I was that kid, okay? Jacksonville. Amen, all right? And, and I was on my way to school. We lived out in the country, and I got a little distracted. I was thinking about some other things. I just got dumped the, the night before, and um, I, I was just, I, I was, you know, when you're driving and it's like, I don't even remember the last 10 minutes of what happened. It's really scary. Okay, we're going to lay hands and pray after service. And I was driving and I caught the side of the road. And then I overcorrected to the left. And then I overcorrected to the right. And I flipped that Honda Civic upside down in a ditch. And here's what I want to tell you this morning is you, you steer towards where you stare. Like, y'all, have y'all noticed when there's a wreck on the side of the road, there, there ends up being another wreck? 
like construction workers, we need to pray for them because I know y'all are like, what are they doing? It's like slamming on your brain. You steer towards where you stare. I want to ask you this morning, what, what has the most of your attention? Like as a family unit, as you and your, your spouse and your kids, what has the most of your attention? Because it's really hard to build something with purpose if you're distracted from the beginning. You steer towards where you stare. Don't get distracted. The enemy is the ultimate deceiver and distractor. So what distracts you? What, what gets you off your rocker, off your game? The, what, what is the thing that has the most of your attention? I played a little bit of baseball, and uh, I was a pitcher. And thank God when I got to college, I didn't have to touch another baseball bat. I couldn't hit to save my life. And, uh, and th- we ran this trick play. And any, any baseball people in the house, I've got a couple you're going to know uh, about this. But uh, I was a pitcher, and we ran this play. Yeah, my man right there, coaches at Fayetteville. Um, We ran this trick play, and it was called Bug, okay? And the whole purpose of this play was you would come set on the mound, and then the third baseman, this this play was when you had a runner on second. The third baseman would fall on the ground and start rolling, hollering, Bug. Now, we practiced this, but nobody wanted to be the third baseman when coach called the trick play. Because if this thing doesn't work out, you will look really dumb, okay? Like, and you better play it off like you got stung by a wasp. But the purpose is that he falls down, the guy on second base looks over, gets distracted, and then he gets picked off by your boy, okay? And so we ran the play, and it didn't work. (laughs) And Caleb was rolling on the ground, and, y'all, it was hilarious. Like, it just didn't work. The, The dude knew that it was a trick play, and Caleb, like, calls time you know he gets it he calls the coach over there he's acting like he got stung by something it was hilarious this is what I want you to know is the enemy has the same tactics if he can distract you long enough then you'll get picked off and it's and it's you won't even see it coming it's like it just comes so quickly we get distracted we get comfortable Sanballat was the enemy in secret but there was nothing secretive about what he was doing refuse to get distracted from the work of God. It says in verse 6, so we rebuilt the wall until all of it reached half of its height. For the people worked with all of their heart. If you've got a Bible, circle that. With all of their heart. Uh, if, you, if you run a business in here, maybe you're a coach, a teacher, you know the difference between someone working with half of their heart and all of their heart. Would you all agree? You also know the difference when somebody just doesn't have a heart. Like, <laughs> They worked with all of their heart. What would it look like at New Life Fayetteville if every person that walked in here said, my city, my responsibility, I'm not going to see things with just my eyes, but I'm going to see them with my heart. I'm not going to get distracted because God's called me to something greater than myself, and I work with all my heart. I think this church, would it, it would start shaking up. I, I think that we would probably have to put some chairs in the foyer. I, I think that you would probably, we may have to have another service. Like, what would it look like if we did everything that we do with all of our heart? I'm talking about you pump gas with a purpose. Like, I wish I would bump into somebody. I'm going to love on them. I'm going to serve them. If I see a piece of trash, I'm going to pick it up. We, we do everything with all of our hearts. I think it's amazing. It says in verse 7, But when Sambalad and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the people of Ashdod heard that the repairs were being made, that the gaps were being closed. I want you to underline that, highlight it. If you got a highlighter, the gaps were being closed. Did you know the enemy's not looking for a giant door in your life? He's looking for a small gap. It's like if I could just crack the door open, it's not going to take much strength for me to open the rest of the door. Does that make sense? 
a cracked window. A crack. So this is what I want you to do. Number two, the, the, write this down. Remove the rubble before rebuilding. Because it's really hard to start building something or rebuilding if you've got rubble everywhere. Now, we just flipped the house. We will never do this again in Jesus' name. It looks different on the TV shows, and two years later, here we are, baby. Okay, like, it, it, it was really hard to get things done because I'm the kind of guy, I get distracted easily. So I'll start one project, and 10 projects later, and two years later, we've got little, pound, we've got little rubble piles everywhere. Anybody, you've got, some of the spouses are nudging, nudging the, their husbands, okay? Like, I do this with laundry sometimes. I got, like, little piles, you know? It's just like, Kendra calls them my piles. It's really hard to do things if there's rubble around. Write this down. Rubble reduces your effectiveness. Rubble reduces your effectiveness. This, is, this could be sin in your life. This could be something that you told God, I'll never do it again, but somehow you've tripped over it again. We've all been here, and maybe it's baggage from your past, but it's little piles that cause you not to be able to rebuild. I, I love this in the next part of the text, and in verse 13, it says, Therefore I stationed some of the people behind the lowest parts of the wall at the exposed places, posting them by the families with their swords, their spears, and their bows. Write this down. Number three, rebuild the lowest wall in your life first. I know a lot of people that try to maximize their strengths. They never think about their weaknesses. And it's great leadership teaching. It's really bad principles for living for God. Like just focus on your strengths just, if you're good at this, just keep doing this. But what about the low walls? Let me tell you, my, my low wall in my life was, was pride for a really long time. And if I don't have accountability, if I'm not careful, the enemy can creep in in secret and, and get me off my rocker. My first week as a youth pastor, many years ago, I caused an entire family to leave our church. It was one of the most embarrassing and hurtful things I've ever done in my entire life. I, we were in the foyer. And we, had, uh, we, we were getting ready for Collide Conference. This is about six years ago, seven years ago. We had a little booth set up. We had music going. And we were just trying to get, y'all, I'll do anything to reach a kid for Jesus. Anything. And we, had, we were giving away Red Bull if you register. <laughs> now I look back, probably not the best idea. And so this lady walks up, and I'm holding the door at the back of the church, and and, and, you know, where people leave and I'm telling people, have a good day, just trying to be a good pastor. It was my first week. And I'm standing there with my wife at the door and this lady walks through with her family and she says, I need to talk to a pastor. And I was like, well, looky here, you know, you got one right here. And she says, I just want you to know the music's too loud. I was like, yeah, I agree. I, I want you to know that that guy didn't even really talk about the gospel. And, and then she says, and at that table in there, you got a bunch of little kids that don't even know what they're doing. Oh, oh, it moved my heart in the wrong way. And I, I just was kind of waiting for an opportunity to talk. And she said, and to top it off, you're giving Red Bull to kids. Did you know that Red Bull kills people? And me being prideful and arrogant, young in my faith and not really knowing what I was doing, I stepped forward, I puffed my chest out in pride, and I said, ma'am, you are more likely to get in your vehicle and die on the way home than drinking Red Bull. And she looked at me with tears in her eyes and she said, I am never coming back to church. Whew. Her family, she, it was the Brady Bunch. There was like 10 kids, they all walked away. And I turned to my wife and my wife says, what has gotten into you? 
And what I realize now looking back and being a little bit further along in my faith, it's not that something got into me, it's that something didn't get out of me a long time ago. I didn't address a low wall in my life and so pride crept in. The enemy in secret, Sam Ballad, and, and what happened is the enemy attacked at an opportune time. Did you know when, when you start influencing people that the enemy is just waiting to get you off your rocker so it, does, it doesn't just affect you, it affects another family. So I called this lady the next day, I had her contact info. She started to sign her kids up for conference. I called her and she said, I, try, I tried to introduce myself on the phone. She said, I know exactly who you are. And I want you to know I've told everybody at my job about you. And I'm like, oh my gosh. And the story literally gets worse and worse. There's not a happy ending to this one. Pride can destroy some things. Let me ask you this, what's the lowest wall in your life? I, I just focused on my strengths for a long time. It's great to teach in leadership. It's not the best to teach in kingdom work. That they positioned people behind the lowest walls and they got ready to protect what they needed to protect. And the last thing is this, number four, fight for your family. Fight for your family. This is the one I'm probably most passionate about. It says this in verse 14, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your families, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. We live in a culture that celebrates fighting with your families. We, we live in a world today that celebrates the opposite of what I'm telling you, fight for your families. If you don't know what to do, do the last thing that God told you to do, fight for your families. If you don't know what to do, love on your kids if you've got some kids. They need your attention, they need your love, they need your compassion. Ask, ask the Lord today, God, would you break my heart for what breaks yours? I wanna fight for my family, I wanna serve my wife. I wanna fight for my family. This is a recipe for success. Remember the Lord, he's great and he's powerful. Fight for your family, fight for your kids, fight for your spouse. Don't fight with your spouse. It's really hard not to do that when you're moving across the state, but don't fight with your spouse. Those boxes are gonna get unloaded, it's all gonna be okay. That box tape is the worst tape in the world, but it's gonna stick to those boxes. Don't, don't fight with your spouse, fight for your spouse and fight for your home. When we remember this and we fix our eyes on Jesus, he starts doing some stuff. Y'all are looking at a, a messed up guy. I told God, I'll do anything but this. And this is exactly what he asked us to do. And I'm like, man, you really tricked me. I was supposed to be just be a tree. A tree. It was way easier that way. Fight for your families. What would it look like if we had a group of people that said, I'm not gonna get distracted. I'm gonna live on purpose with a purpose. I'm gonna fight for my family. I'm not gonna get off and, and go this way. I'm gonna stay. I'm gonna pursue opposition where God's calling me to go. I love this next part. It, it says that uh, from the day on, half of the men did the work. The other half were equipped with spears and shields and bows and armor. And the officers posted themselves behind the people of Judah who were building the wall. Y'all don't miss this. Those who carried their materials did their work with one hand and they held a weapon with the other. They had a hammer in one hand and a sword in the other. Why? Because when you fight and you're rebuilding in the kingdom of God, you better be ready for a fight. 
You better be ready. It's, you may say, well, I wasn't facing opposition until I started living for Jesus. It's because you were on the other team. When you fight for your families, it's the one thing that'll disrupt the devil because he's trying to tear those things apart. Fight for your families. I love the end of this. It says that the work is extensive and spread out. We're widely separated from each other along the wall. Wherever you hear the sound of the trumpet, join us there. Would you go ahead and stand to your feet across the